right, happy Monday. Glad you are with us right down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Uh, it got really, really ugly in Portland with Antifa and, I guess, white supremacy groups. You know, the the conflicts going over there. It's really, really despicable. Um, we've got to get a hold of this. You know, these extremists on any side of these issues, I don't, you know, we're supposed to be one American family. We're supposed to believe fundamentally that we're all, and we are. It's not even in dispute. I believe with all my heart, we are all created equal. You know, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. By the way, not guarantees from a corrupt federal government that overpromises, never delivers, and lies to us constantly and are using money to build up careers and longevity for themselves. It, it gets old. Um, anyway, you got Antifa on, on camera threatening, throwing hammers, attacking journalists there. Um, we know that yeah, other, you know, groups of white supremacist groups staging a demonstration in Portland. I guess this was a counter protest to the the white supremacist extremism. You know, these I don't know what where these people come from. It is strange. It is odd. It is bewildering. And it's like, OK, where get a life. Go do something productive in your life rather than engaging in in ideologies that make you think you're superior you're not superior whatever side of the racism you're on you're a jackass and you're wasting your life just buying into nothing but hatred animosity division you know if i've always said that you know if criminals for example if they ever got smart some of them are genius at breaking the law they would apply that genius to having a better life if you if you're putting all of your energy into hating other people that are just different from you. You know, it's sick. Go get a life. Go live a life. This is uh, not good for the country. This is not good for anybody. And I think all people of goodwill on, you know, it's not political. It should be something everybody condemns. It should be something that we all agree on, but apparently we don't. And that part of it is unnecessary. Um, anyway, we'll get to that later in the program. We have Spygate news. Lindsey Graham predicting the IG report will be ugly and damning. He believes the Horowitz report. He goes on to say, every time you turn around, you find something new. Horowitz is doing a very in-depth dive. And as it relates to the premeditated fraud on a FISA court with the bought and paid for Clinton Russian lies that we now know they knew were lies from the get go, but they used them anyway. And he says he wants to declassify as much as possible. I don't want people to believe what I said. I want them to read for themselves how bad it was. I want it all out. I want people to see how off the rails this investigation got. And I want people to be held accountable. And I'm patient. I'm not in a hurry to do this. I want it done right. And asking if it went over the top, Lindsey Graham says, well, who knew about this in the White House? He wondered. Was President Obama briefed? I'd like to know that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Go back to last week, Andy McCarthy's observation. There is no counterintelligence effort or no counterintelligence investigation unless it's the president's counterintelligence investigation. He's saying, and by the way, Greg Jarrett agrees and, and everybody in law that I know agrees, too, that this had to be run 
by the president of the United States, and he had to know. Now the questions become very Watergate-ish. What did Obama know? What did Biden know? What did Susan Rice know? What did the attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch, know? And when did they know it? And then the questions come for Comey uh, as it relates to the, you know, rigged investigation into Hillary. What did he know? When did he know it? What part did he play in the exoneration? Why the unusual practice of interrogating Hillary? And you're allowed to have uh, witnesses to the whole thing that you have given immunity to for some strange and unknown reason because they're rigging the investigation. And, you know, why did that all happen? And then the, the leaked documents in his case and the determination there was a lack of candor. Then, the, then, of course, the Russian bought and paid for dossier with funneled money, campaign finance violation, money from the DNC and Hillary Clinton right to a law firm. Law firm hires an op research group where Nellie Orr works, and she's feeding information to the fourth highest person in the DOJ at the time. That would be Bruce Orr. But they hire a foreign national by the name of Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele. He's, he doesn't back up a single thing in his own dossier. And more importantly, when the FBI finally started to look into it, this was before the fourth and final FISA warrant was signed, and they mapped out and put together a spreadsheet. None of this was true. But they used it as the bulk of information they verified before a court that it was all verified. That is not a small violation. This is the premeditated commitment to perpetrate a fraud on a court for the purpose of spying on the opposition party candidate during an election year and and in a very sophisticated way leaking the unverified clinton bought and paid for lies to their media allies and using the same source trying to create uh, an image to the court that there were multiple sources when they were all the same one source and then you get, you know, hacks and conspiracy theorists like David Korn and Michael Isikoff, probably one of the biggest ones, you know, whatever they handed him, he printed as if true. Then they get to say, see, as reported here, it's this confirms our report. Yeah, because they fed him the information. You know, he just, you know, like a puppet, he just took whatever they gave him and just wrote it down. It's unbelievable. The same with the Washington Post. And who did that? Then we get into the issue of what's going on overseas right now. And this seems to be where the, the biggest amount of action and investigating is going on. And that has to do with the outsourcing of spying against the president of the United States. First, a candidate, then a, a transition presidency. And then, of course, the president. All of it happened. First, they wanted to stop him from getting elected. And then after they stop him from getting, if they can't stop him, they got the insurance policy. The insurance policy of the Russian lies Hillary paid for. And then, of course, the secret spying that went on abroad and the spying that went on vis-a-vis the Russian dossier used as the bulk of information, unverifiable, to get the warrant on Carter Page to give a backdoor to all things President Trump a, a campaign, transition, and presidency. You know, we have turned a big corner, though. There's a, even a fake news CNN poll, brand new poll out, and it shows as the uh, that a majority of Americans want an investigation into Obama DOJ spying on Trump. Now, that uh, that is not a report or a poll that I would have been able to read to you three months ago. The American people now, now that they see that they've been lied to for two and a half years, 
and lies and propaganda and misinformation, false hopes created by these lies, a belief in the conspiracy theories being peddled by every major news organization in this country, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, and probably the worst of the worst, you have Roswell Rachel Maddow over there on Conspiracy TV, MSNBC. And then all of those that want to be like Rachel, they're all feeding the same lies, same conspiracies, same hoaxes every day. And one of the reasons their numbers are tanking, just like at fake news CNN, is because they haven't told their viewers the truth. And they let their viewers believe something was going to happen that was never going to happen because it didn't happen. But something did happen. There was Russian interference. I do think one thing Mueller got right. I have no doubt that these Russian troll farms exist. I have no doubt that the Russians, as they've done in the past, and Devin Nunes warned it would happen in 2016. Nobody paid attention to him in 2014. I have no doubt that as they've done it before, they'll try to do it again. But I also have no doubt, and I believe the New York Times finally fell upon some truth, and that is that the dossier was likely Russian disinformation from the get-go, which would mean that the narrative that the Russians were trying to help Donald Trump is just the opposite. Because if they knew about the dirty dossier and Hillary was paying for the dirty dossier, that they were setting up Trump with this, these lies that the Russians are feeding him, then they, they know that's going to help Hillary in spite of everything. But you're not going to hear that in the mainstream media. You know, Americans are going to have to come to grips with this. If in this poll, now we have the overwhelming majority want the investigation into the Obama DOJ spying on Trump. This is what Andy McCarthy is saying, is that there is no counterintelligence investigation that is not known by the president of the United States, period, end of sentence. That's why. The Durham report or the Barr report or whatever they want to call that report is going to shed light on how bad the abuse of power had gotten. You know, who 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 did know about this? That's the, the key question. What did Obama, Biden, Susan Rice, Samantha Powers unmasking a U.N. ambassador unmasking 300 people? What did they know and when did they know it? What did Loretta Lynch know? When did she know it? You know, Struck and Page are pointing the fingers at Loretta Lynch that, in fact, she is the one that ran interference for a real, true investigation into Hillary Clinton. Certainly would explain the tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton. You have a Clinton IT aide who defied a subpoena now saying that he created a cryptic Gmail account and sent it nearly uh, and sent it nearly all of Hillary's emails. All but four of Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails were copied likely secretly to a Gmail address called Carter Heavy Industries at gmail.com, according to a brand new Senate report. And the FBI says that the account was linked to Paul uh, Combetta, an IT aide that Clinton hired, who used Bleachbit to destroy the emails after they were subpoenaed and misled FBI agents. This is going to become a very central figure in all of this. And he said he sent all of her emails to the Gmail account as part of trying to copy them to a new server, and he was copying Clinton's emails off an old laptop that he was supposed to send back to the, in the mail, but there's no evidence he ever returned it, according to the DOJ and the Inspector General. When an intel agent discovered the copying, this is all according to the Daily Caller, and they've done some great reporting here, you know, this all according to them, when an intel uh, agent discovered the copying and got Peter Strzok's attention with it, he was totally uninterested. 
The other discovery we have with this is that struck. We now know that the Chinese likely were getting in real time everything that went into Hillary's private email account. All the top secret classified information in real time was going straight to China. So this saga has now just gotten a lot more weird um, in a lot of different ways. And then you got Comey. Oh, he and his wife donated nearly 20 grand to Democrats this year. Shocker. But I'm telling you, this is now this newly uncovered evidence confirms Obama's White House ran the the Wiener email investigation also. But they ran the counterintelligence investigation. Look at this. Stefan Helper was spying on Papadopoulos and spying on Carter Page and Sam Clovis. Well, he's claiming he can't be sued for lying about General Flynn because he's a government agent. Okay, deep state spy. Where is he from? The Cambridge. I thought this guy wasn't he supposed to be the Australian diplomat guy. Anyway, eight hundred nine four one. Sean. All right, we got a lot. There is a huge poll out today that ought to put the fear of losing in the heart of every Democrat. Has to do with the demogra- demographic breakdown in a. Zogby poll. We'll get to that coming up today. Also, the latest on these two congresswomen. You know, Talib was granted access to see her grandmother. Uh, no, she didn't want that access. We'll explain that too. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity show. All right, so you have House Democrats praising Antifa as peaceful, saying they're working to keep Portland safe. Democratic Representative Deborah. Holland called Antifa a group of peaceful protesters working to safeguard their city. Now, apparently there were white supremacist jackasses there and they supposedly would be a counter protest. But this is what the counter protester people were saying. Listen. And then, of course, the articles about it all uh, tell a very different story. You got Antifa people caught on camera threatening, throwing hammers, attacking journalists. Um, In spite, the press ignores that part. I don't care what your sick twist. White supremacist, Antifa, Black Lives Matter. What do we want? Dead cops. We don't need these people. 
All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Um, these numbers ought to scare the living daylights out of Democrats. And I'm going to tell you why it's happening. Uh, the headline on the Washington Examiner is Zogby, poor performances of Democrats boost Trump's approval to 51% with blacks and Hispanics. Now, what's even more amazing when you get into the get in more deeply into the poll, you see that and especially look at this through the prism of what we've been following and the and the never ending charges of racism, 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 which is the new stormy, stormy, the new asshole, asshole, the new Russia, Russia, the new collusion, collusion, the new impeachment, impeachment. These guys wake up every second, every minute, every hour, every day. This is what they are. But. You know, I, I, I've been asking very simple questions. Are we better off than we were three years ago? And I think the answer is overwhelmingly la- uh, yes, much better. And the fact that President Trump's policies, and these are conservative policies I've advocated my whole life, you know, deregulation, getting rid of burdensome regulation, which crippled industry in this country. This president has done that. Then cutting taxes, the largest tax cut in history. And then energy independence by opening up all the vast resources which will raise the standard of living that every American has. It is it is literally what potentially a gold rush that would include every American getting wealthy. I mean, think about Alaska. Alaska citizens, they don't pay state income taxes. They get a check for living in Alaska. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, there are because of their vast resources. Well, if you nationalize that because we have all of these resources all around the country, this is the single biggest opportunity we have to raise everybody's standard of living. There is a way people can have the best health care that they can have a nice home in a safe neighborhood, drive a nice car uh, or truck, F-150, whatever you want to drive and and also take vacations and all the things that everybody wants, except you're going to work for it, you're going to earn it, and America's going to share that wealth, not spread the wealth, but America's natural resources are our natural inheritance. And once we now tap into it, we benefit on foreign policy because we don't need to import any more energy from any country that hates us. It's the lifeblood of every economy on the face of the earth. And secondly, they're high-paying career jobs for Americans. And because they're our resources, well, Americans should be able to profit. Every American should profit from what is American resources. And there's a way to do it. Unlike, say, Venezuela, they have vast energy resources, but they don't. The, the, the government steals them all. Just like a lot of these Middle Eastern countries, the wealth is concentrated just in the hands of the few. We, we could do that model easily. We're going to train truck drivers to, you know, truck energy resources from here to there and we're going to train them and start them at 80 grand a year and then all the overtime they want and then good increases in pay and really good benefits retirement health care etc we're doing good that could happen overnight if we just really go full bore but of course the you know let's get rid of natural gas and energy and the combustion engine crowd is not going to love that it is the lifeblood of our economy anyway the president's policies are working, and that would also include controlling the border. I think it's great the president can reallocate Defense Department unspent funds, uh, according to that court decision, because now the wall keeps getting built. He's repaired portions of it. He's building miles and miles of it, 
And until the job is done, we got to do it because otherwise it's taking jobs away from Americans. It's costing America a fortune. These detention centers cost us a fortune. Uh, then we have the issue of, all right, illegal immigrants, the cost on the health care system, the criminal justice system. Uh, the educational system is enormous. We're paying billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Never mind, we're not vetting people. And some bad guys get through with those that want a better life. And Americans are hurt unnecessarily. All we want, do it legally. Let us vet you and show us you have the means to take care of yourself while you are here. Okay, welcome, welcome to America, the land of milk and honey and opportunity. But anyway, so with all this, um, you know, I, it used to be every two and four years. Now it's every second of every day. The Republicans, conservatives, the president, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air and water. They want uh, to kill children. They want grandma and grandpa to eat dog food or cat food, whatever their pleasure is, before a Paul Ryan lookalike throws them over a cliff. It's every single election season. Now it's every day. And you would think, okay, did all of this recently have any impact on Donald Trump and his presidency? Well, it appears that just the opposite is happening. And I think that the, the jobs that he's created through conservative policies are paying off big time for the forgotten men and women in this country. You know, it wasn't Biden and Obama that created 7 million new jobs. It wasn't Biden and Obama that created record low unemployment for black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workforce uh, and youth unemployment. That would be Trump. It wasn't Biden, Obama that gave us the best employment situation since 1969. No, they gave us the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. You know, and I'm looking at this. All right. President's approval rating, 51 percent, 47 percent disapproval. Among those who approve, it's strongly, somewhat approved. You know, he's doing great. And then when you factor in the demographics of all of this, this is where Democrats ought to get scared. You know, you look at all these big cities with all the violence, all the misery, poverty, and mayhem when they've been run for decades by corrupt Democratic officials. The machine has run them. The bureaucracy, the swamp has run these cities. And they've run these cities into the ground. You know, when you have 13 high schools in Baltimore where not a single kid is proficient in math. Um, they're failing those kids on a spectacular level. You know, when you have 17,000 homes that have been abandoned in Baltimore and nobody does a thing about it, that's a problem. When you have rat infestation in Baltimore or any, that's a problem. When you have the violence in Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, that's a big problem. No, but if you can't politicize it, though, and it means you'd have to go after your Democratic failed policies for decades, you're not going to touch it. And the media mob's not going to report it. It's only if they can blame Donald Trump. And that's what they tried to do with El Paso. Anyway, race is playing a big pack, uh, factor, according to Zogby, in this rising job approval rating of his. Uh, Hispanics much more likely to approve of his job performance he gets uh, the president gets a 49 percent of approval rating, positive ratings in this poll from Hispanic Americans. Now, what's even more startling in this poll is 20 percent of that is an increase over the percentage of Latino votes that Trump won in 2016. And the president also saw his numbers jump 
with African-Americans, 28% now approve of the president's job performance. That is a 20% increase over the 8% of the black vote that Trump won in the last election. People are not buying the, the bumper stickers, the predictable lies, the racist, racist, racist chant of the Democrats. And people are looking at the results in their lives and their communities and jobs that were never created with eight years of Biden-Obama. And they're saying, you know what? We like things the way they are. This is going pretty good. I kind of like it. And, you know, then you have people all over the place trying to push a recession on us. They say it often enough. Their hope is that it will become a reality. I also see Dick Cheney, by the way. You know, it's been clear for a long time there was no lost love between the Trump family and the Bush family. George H.W. Bush confirmed last year when he actually voted for Hillary in 2016. Unbelievable. And that makes the identity of the co-host of tonight's Trump fundraiser pretty remarkable. You've got Dick Cheney and his daughter, Liz. They're going to co-host a fundraiser for the RNC in the 2020 Trump re-election campaign. Uh, I think Dick Cheney likes results, too. He's a results guy and tough as nails. Um, I don't know why the NFL can't get their act together, but we're back to the kneeling in preseason. Here we go again. This time the Carolina Panthers safety, Eric Reed, kneeling in protest before their loss to the Buffalo Bills on Friday night. You know, th- th- none of this is going to work. I, you know what? Um, Robert Kraft, who owns the New England Patriots, told me this story, that what he did with his players in his locker room is he said, guys, if, if there's anything we can do, any cause that motivates you to help people in, in inner city America that I can help with, I'll match it dollar for dollar. You know, but that there are people that fought, bled, and died fighting for that flag. And let's respect the flag. And it's not been a problem for the New England Patriots. Anyway, so I thought that was a really smart, creative thing that Robert Kraft did. And also, it's, it's good for the whole country. It's good for everybody. Um, I want to move on to the extremism in the Democratic Party. So we had this whole... Uh, brouhaha unfold as it relates to two squad members. Uh, that would be Omar and Congresswoman Tlaib. And remember, Omar, it's all about the Benjamins baby and, you know, her comments, her tweet that goes back a while talking about Israel evil and they're hypnotizing everybody and make Allah awaken the world to whatever evil, something that I'm paraphrasing at this point. And Anyway, so they both apply to go to Israel. The prime minister, the people in Israel say, no, you can't because of their anti-Semitic rantings. You have Talib. She was writing for Louis Farrakhan's magazine, and uh, she's a virulent anti-Semite. You can see in her writings, both are pushing, in this case, to for the boycott of Israel. The only democracy in the region, our closest ally. Anyway, so... She applied, and Congresswoman Omar, both of them were denied outright. Congresswoman Tlaib then puts in a special request because she wants to see her grandmother. And her grandmother, obviously, getting older in years, and she wanted an opportunity to go out there and see her. So Israel did it on humanitarian purposes. They were going to let her in. Anyway, so she gets permission, and then she doesn't want to go. And the president said Israel was very respectful. 
very nice to Congresswoman Tlaib, allowing her permission to visit her grandmother on on for humanitarian purposes. As soon as she's granted permission, what does she do? She goes out and grandstands, loudly proclaiming she's not going to visit Israel. Okay, um, then why did you ask for the opportunity to go see your grandmother if you had no intention of going to see your grandmother? Because she's the one that wrote the letter to Israeli officials desperately wanting to visit her grandmother. Was elderly and probably sick, and she wanted to see her. Fine, permission granted, and it was granted quickly. Then Tlaib obnoxiously turns the approval down, and, you know, big public statement. Um, (laughs) You know, Trump tweets out, he goes, well, the only real winner here is Tlaib's grandmother. She doesn't have to see her now. Like it or not, Tlaib and Omar are fast becoming the face of the Democratic Party. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is fuming and not happy about this. Well, what is Israel supposed to do if you're writing for Louis Farrakhan, a virulent racist and anti-Semite? Nobody ever commented. How is it for eight years the picture of Obama and screwy Louis Farrakhan are out there? They hide it from the American people the whole time. And still nobody asks Obama, why were you ever in a picture with this guy? You know, just like uh, Bill Clinton. He's sitting right next to him at a, some service of some kind. Now, Tlaib's grandmother fired back at Trump. May God ruin him. Oh, there's a, there's a lovely thought from Grandma. Anyway, we have a House report. Democrats now weighing action against Israel. This is not going to go over well with parts of the Democratic Party because they don't have the courage to stand up to the virulent anti-Semites in their own party. Yeah, that's the whole watered-down Omar resolution that never was an Omar resolution. Let's just condemn everybody. Not specifically what they what caused the initial discussion of a censure in the in the House. But you're gonna have now an open rift on this issue. Just like you're seeing some Democrats in districts that Trump won, they're scared to death of this new Green Deal and the real leaders of the Democratic Party, which represent the squad. Um, We have a Democratic lawmaker simulating the assassination of Trump during a political fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Imagine if roles were reversed. The Republicans did this. And I bet you nobody in the media picks up on it. There's a PJ Media piece that came out. A lot of the racism in America comes from the Democratic Party and the left. They play the race card. That's what they're doing. But, you know, uh, there is a report out also. This was on Breitbart. That Ilan Omar, Rashid Talib were anti, they share an anti Semitic cartoon by a participant in Iran's Holocaust denial contest. Both have repeat, reportedly shared that. I didn't see it myself. I'm going to look into that. And then, of course, Talib now wants to boycott Bill Maher. You know, everyone wants to boycott somebody they disagree with because Bill Maher had the. You know, look, I don't want to ever boycott anybody. And I don't like anything about Bill Maher. He wants he's begging and hoping and praying that we have a recession. Yeah, because it's not going to impact his life. What does he care? Um, so I think the real winner in all of this was Donald Trump. Gillibrand is now saying that Israel should be held accountable for snubbing anti-Semitic Democrats. Huh? It's unbelievable to me. 800-941-SEAN is our number. All right, we got a lot coming up today. John Solomon's going to join us. Newt Gingrich, he, where's Newt Ben these days? He's not been on in a while. He's going to join us. Um, we'll talk to a reporter that was on the ground for the Examiner in Portland. Uh, really scary scenario unfolding there over the weekend and much more. 
All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. So I write Newt the other day. I'm like, where the hell have you been? He's like, been MIA all summer. And he goes, well, I went on a two-week cruise, and I love to do the cruises because I'm thinking. And by the way, this is all true. Every time he goes away on a vacation, he comes back with a 500,000 ideas, observations, and he gets a clarity not being in the day-to-day grind, and he's spending a lot of time in Italy, obviously, because his wife is the ambassador to the Holy See. So, uh, you haven't been here in a while, so I got to download you. Um, do you think sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe has blown it? Let me play a quick montage. If you agree with me, go to Joe 303. 303- 3-0 and help me in this fight. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to and I, 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 I met with them and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. We gotta let them know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Words that stunned the nation, and I would argue, I know, shocked the world. International leaders spoke about it. You had people like Margaret Thatcher, excuse me, you had people like the the former chairman and leader of the party in in Germany. You had Angela Merkel. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Wealthy kids, black kids. Mom uh, lived in uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so, uh, God rest her soul, and uh, um, although she's, wait, your mom's still, your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. Chuck Graham, state senator's here. Chuck, stand up, Chuck, let him see you. Oh, God love you. What am I talking about? Delaware, the largest growth in population is Indian Americans moving from India. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. I'm not joking. What kind of a chance with a northeastern liberal like Joe Biden stand uh, in the south? Better than anybody else. And you don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. You got the first sort of mainstream African American who is articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook. They're going to put you all back in chains. You've got the first mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean. This is storybook. Wow. And then, of course, of course, poor kids, they're just as talented as uh, white kids. Wow. You can't work at a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. We'll take truth over facts. And by, by my state's not a Northeast liberal state. Well, my state was a slave state. Yeah, you know, running for president. Uh, it's getting bad, though. Newt Gingrich is with us. Thank God for audio tape and videotape. We make good use of it on this program. How are you? <clears throat> well, I'm doing well. But I think it's almost unfair to what? point out that Joe Biden is Joe Biden. I mean, that's, that's all you've proven. <clears throat> Joe Biden is a doofus. Joe Biden hasn't been able to be accurate in his entire career. He won a Senate seat in a very small state. Every time he tried to run for president, it fell apart because he couldn't figure out what he was saying. Uh, He was very lucky 
that President Obama lifted him up as a candidate and carried him for eight years, but he got another clown. Uh, which is so why, you know, I, is, I was wrong about who I thought would replace him. I, I thought Kamala Harris would have now grudgingly been to think it's going to be Elizabeth Warren. But I had I never had any doubt that, that Biden's potential for getting the nomination was almost zero. Okay. With that said, I, I want to now go down. Why do you think Kamala has, well, she's she's literally thrown in completely with the squad and this, you know, eliminate oil and gas and the combustion engine and everything's free, 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 Medicare for all, you can't have private insurance. I just think on issues she's going to lose for her extremism. Then you got Mayor Pete. I I just don't see it. Some people do, but I don't. And then the next thing I'd say is, all right, so now we're down to Socialist 1 and Socialist 2, Warren and Sanders. And I'd probably give the edge to Warren in that case. Yeah, that, that's well. I mean, Sanders, I think, is the other interesting story because it turned out, and I think that second debate cycle where he was just angry. Uh, you go back and you pull together just him, take out everybody else, and watch unedited how really angry Bernie was, and it just gives you the shocking sense of, you know, this is a guy who's right on the edge, and I mean, he has anger management problems. Uh, and I think that's that's not a good way to run for president. Um, Americans are inherently optimistic. If you go back and you look over the years, you know, Reagan was more optimistic than Carter. Carter was more optimistic uh, than Gerald Ford. Uh, the, the truth is that Bill Clinton was more optimistic than George H.W. Bush. George W. Bush was more optimistic than Al Gore. And you just go down the list. And what you have right now is is a old, cranky, tired socialist who seen it all fade away uh, because it was a great one-time act, but there's there's no repeat. I think the other side of that is that you're going to see uh, Biden continue to decay. And frankly, with Kamala Harris, and I'm really surprised, I, I, as you know, because I came on the show for about eight months and said, I was pretty confident she could get there. But Willie Brown, who was her mentor uh, and her employer and helped create her, Willie Brown was one of the brightest uh, politicians in America, former speaker of the legislature and a remarkable guy in general. Yeah, he actually is one of the more likable people you'd ever meet in politics. I don't agree with a single thing he says, but I've enjoyed over the years he's he's a smart person. He's funny as hell, has a great sense of humor, is a great debater. But his views are just nuts. Yeah, well, well, he's a San Francisco liberal. But uh, he wrote a column very early on and said, you know, she's just not going to make it. She she can't hit major league pitching. And I think that's what we've seen with Kamala, that when when, when she got in the big leagues and she was right up there at bat, uh, she just couldn't quite put it together. And that, frankly, just eats you up. Mm-hmm. Um, because what what happens at the presidential level is people see you in their living room. I, I'll never forget the the first night I saw Trump on the very first Fox debate where he got in that very very brutal knockdown dragout uh, with Megyn Kelly, and all of the elites said he lost it. Just overwhelmingly, Trump lost. It was terrible. But when you watched all night long on the various websites, including liberal websites, out of 17 candidates, 
the one person who was getting 60 to 70 percent of the vote was Donald Trump. And the reason was authenticity. They, they felt like they were seeing a guy who was just plain real. Now, some of this may have been his amazing training uh, in doing The Apprentice for all those years and the fact that he was clearly the, the best televised trained candidate in American history. Uh, but, but part of it also is that actually, as you know, because you know him very well, uh, he really is authentic. I mean, you get his weaknesses, you get his strengths, uh, but you, you don't get any kind of mask. Well, I, I will say this because I'm, I'm paying very, very close attention to what's happening. I'm asking very simple questions. That I think that'll be applicable in a year, which is, are we better off than we were four years ago? Now it's three years. I think the answer is undeniably, absolutely, positively yes. Has Donald Trump lost any of his support from 2016? It looks like the enthusiasm for him is dramatically increased as evidenced by the enthusiasm at every one of his rallies. I don't see any Democrat getting anything near those numbers. Um, And what about the record that we have the best unemployment since 1969, break it down demographically, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. And a Zogby poll out shows that Trump's approval ratings of 51 percent. But that's not even the best news among Hispanic voters. Well, his job performance is 20 points higher today than it was in 2016. And with African-American voters, again, his job performance, 20 percent increase since 2016. Um, That is a dramatic that is a that is a political earthquake. If those numbers hold, can he get those voters that are benefiting from his policies? Well, I think it's really simple. If Trump can pull this off and get reelected, he is a historic phenomenon uh, in a league with only three or four American presidents. If he doesn't, he, he was a detour. And, of course, the Democrats hate him so much that they're utterly, totally irrational. Well, let me ask you this. I think what that's you... a big part of what you're watching. What do you make of the we're now going to get the IG reports on Comey? on premeditated FISA fraud uh, to spy on a presidential candidate, then transition team, then president. Then we've got Barr and Durham really looking deeply into the likelihood that spying and intelligence gathering uh, at the highest level was literally portioned out to our allies to circumvent American laws, to spy on a U.S. president and a U.S. candidate. I see one, well, Lindsey Graham, I think, said it really well, and another friend of mine said it really well, too. This is going to be devastating for the Democrats. All the, you know, two and a half years of lies and impeachment, impeachment, and Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, it turns out all of the illegal lawbreaking and abuse of power came from the Democrats. And Andy McCarthy suggesting that, you know what, there's no way President Obama didn't know that every president it's their counterintelligence operation. It's not anybody else's. Well, look, I mean, there, there are two different parts of this. One is, I have no doubt that we are going to discover that there was just um, such an extraordinary depth of the establishment bureaucracy, uh, breaking the rules, in many cases, breaking the law, protecting Hillary. Uh, trying to destroy Trump, 
that, that if you'd written a novel about this 10 years ago, people would have said it was a fantasy, it was impossible, you know, it was paranoia. And we're going to discover, uh, I think, just a remarkable package of things that are, that are going to lead us to, to really uh, have to reassess a lot of our thinking about how the American system has been working. All right, the stay right there. that will come out of this book. Yeah, all right, we'll pick it up there. I also want to ask Newt about uh, the squad. Right now, Congresswoman Omar and Talib are holding a press conference. Uh, I love how Talib gets the approval for humanitarian reasons to see her grandmother, then says, never mind. They're holding a press conference now. Let's just dip in for a few seconds here. Israeli security, along with Palestinian civil society groups, former IDF soldiers, Israel, Palestine, and, and this is the group now that it wants to boycott Israel. That is the Congresswoman Omar, the same one that said it's all about the Benjamins, baby. And the same one says Israel's hypnotized the world. Uh, and may Allah expose them for the evil, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, you have Congresswoman Tlaib, who is, uh, well, writing for Louis Farrakhan's magazine, the virulent anti-Semite and racist he is. I've been watching the Tlaib Omar press conference. They also came under huge controversy because they've been sharing a political cartoon made by an illustrator with a history of creating anti-Semitic imagery and in that particular case, a cartoon by an artist who came in second in Iran's Holocaust contest, meaning to deny the Holocaust. Uh, Newt Gingrich is with us. What do you think, not only of this incident with Israel and the anti-Semitism that is supported by them, but more importantly, the squad, get off, no more oil, gas, no more combustion engine in 10 years, the lifeblood of our economy, everything's free, and eventually get rid of planes and cows. Um Many of the 2020 candidates are buying into it. Well, I think it's a fascinating psychological dynamic. Um, the radical candidates who come from very, very Democratic districts who make up the squad are so far to the left of the country that the candidates, if they actually end up endorsing it, if it ends up in the platform, uh, we'll just destroy them. On, on the other hand, they don't seem to have any ability uh, to stand away from them. And so, you know, what, what you're watching, I think, is a uh, party which has lost control of itself, is being pulled to the left much, much more than it was under George McGovern in 1972. And, you know, have things like all of a sudden they're talking about buying having a gun buyback program, having a mandatory uh, buyback program. I mean, every time they turn around, they find three new radical positions to take, and they don't have any sense of how much this is alienating them from normal Americans. Well, I got to tell you something. It is remarkable to me that they have, they have put the fear of God into every Democratic presidential hopeful, and the fact that they now lead the party in Pelosi, can't stop them, speaks volumes about the future of the party. Mr. Speaker, we've been missing you on the air. Glad you had a good vacation. You deserve it. And uh, look forward to uh, having you back you. soon. All right. Thank you. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. All right. Solomon and Greg Jarrett, a lot of deep state news as we investigate the investigators. We're now very close to some very 
well, shocking information that it will be laid bare to the American people. Well, uh, you got three lanes here. You got what the committee will do, my committee. You got Mr. Durham, who's looking at criminality. He's the U.S. attorney in Connecticut. You got the Horowitz, the inspector general report that I think will be coming out in weeks, not days, not months. And I believe the Horowitz report is going to be ugly and damning regarding the Department of Justice handling of the Russian probe. And the IG report, we were supposed to get it months ago. How come it's so late? Well, every time you turn, every time you turn around, you find something new. So Mr. Horowitz is doing a very in-depth dive about the FISA warrant application, uh, the behavior regarding the counterintelligence uh, operation. Uh, he will send his report over to the Department of Justice. They will look at it for classified information. I'm going to meet with the Attorney General next week. I want to declassify as much as possible. I want the American public to hear the story. I want all this information to come out. I don't want people to believe what I say about it. I want them to read for themselves how bad it was. Uh, the warrant application to the FISA court, I think, was quite frankly a fraud on the court. I want all the communications out where they were on notice that Christopher Steele hated Trump, that he was an unreliable uh, informant. I want the information out that the dossier prepared by Steele coming from Russia is unverified to this day. I want the transcripts surrounding interviews with Papadopoulos uh, to be released where it was pretty clear he was not working with the Russians. I want it all out. I want people to see how off the rails uh, this investigation got, yeah. and I want people to be held accountable, and I am patient. I'm not in a hurry to do it. I want to do it right. You mentioned uh, George Papadopoulos. We had him on the show, and he told me he is intending on testifying in front of your committee. When do you expect that to take place? So what I want to do is get the Horowitz report and have him come testify about it. And my job will be to make sure this never happens again. Do we need to change the FISA warrant application process to protect against this happening in the future? Do we need to have rules about counterintelligence investigations being opened against politicians? Do we need to restructure the Department of uh, Justice? These are things that Congress will be looking at. Uh, Durham will be looking at criminality. Did somebody violate the law? And Horowitz will be telling us about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what should be done internally. So a uh, guy like Papadopoulos, yeah, I'd like to call him. I'd like for him to tell the world uh, what kind of interactions he had, where he had them, and what did he say about working with the Russians, and is, is, there, is there verification that he told the informants early on that to work with Russia would be treason and a crime, I would never do that. If he did say that, and they went ahead anyway, that raises a lot of concerns. All right, that's Senator uh, Lindsey Graham with his prediction, and we've been telling you all the different uh, factions uh, that are out there, all the different reports that are coming. And Graham rightly predicting the IG report is going to be ugly, and it's going to be damning. It's going to be very ugly, very damning. And he said he wants Americans to read for themselves how bad it was. It, well, it was bad. And other deep state news, this was on PJ Media, a CNN poll literally shows the overwhelming majority of Americans, they now want an investigation into Obama's DOJ. And they're spying on candidate and then president-elect and then the president, Trump. I mean, this is bad news for Obama and bad news for, let's see, Loretta Lynch, bad news for Susan Rice, bad news for Brennan and Clapper, bad news for Comey, McCabe, and Strzok and Page. But... More and more Americans now are beginning to see that what we've been reporting on this program now for over two years, it's all true. Unlike what they've been fed by every other 
network, which has been nothing but conspiracy theories and lies. Anyway, the Clinton IT aide who defied the subpoena said he created a cryptic Gmail account and sent it nearly all of Hillary's emails. Well, okay. Did he have the authority to do that? Now the Hillary email saga, it's getting more strange and bizarre by the day. Um, Look at what we have coming out every day from our friends at Judicial Watch and the Freedom of Information Act requests. And so a lot of this evidence now confirms the White House, you know, ran a lot more of these investigations than anything else. And the more interesting deep state side news of the day is you have the uh, spy Stefan Halper claiming he can't be sued for lying about General Flynn. He's a government agent. I'm like, okay. And the new evidence showing why Steele and Orr and TSA workers never should have uh, become DOJ sources. Uh, We have with us our deep state expert, John Solomon. He's broken much of this uh, entire unbelievable saga that I don't think anyone can manufacture in their mind and make into a novel. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, and I was thinking about this over the weekend. I don't think we would have been as crafty to come up with a spy novel that's as bad as what has now unfolded in the American public with, with real facts. It's uh, it's very damning, as, as uh, Senator Graham said. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Greg Jarrett is also with us, and he's doing a follow-up to his uh, number one best-selling book, uh, and that's coming out in the fall. We're looking forward to that. All right. So and Greg, I think this is important as we look at where you're coming from. Comey's FBI was running a secret counterintelligence operation against Trump, according to the documents that you were writing about on FoxNews.com. I want to add this to a conversation I had with Andy McCarthy the other day, and that is that any counterintelligence uh, operation is the president's counterintelligence counterintelligence operation. In other words, what what Andy is arguing is Obama had to know all of it. Oh, absolutely. He's right. And I write about it in in both my books. Um, And, you know, look, the whole point of a counterintelligence operation is for the FBI to gather uh, evidence and information about uh, threats to national security by uh, foreign sources. And you provide that information then to the president of the United States. So it's done to aid a president. So since this began officially July 31st, 2016, that means that Obama was the beneficiary of the information. It was being provided to him by the FBI and uh, by John Brennan, CIA, who was briefing the president all the time. And we know this in particular because there was a text message between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page late in the summer of 2016 saying the White House wants to know everything we're doing on this. So clearly Obama personally knew about it, probably approved it. And then, of course, just before uh, the president was inaugurated, uh, the FBI, James Comey in particular, gave a selective briefing to the president-elect, and that was all a charade to leak the dossier to the media, and it was set up by Obama himself the day before in a meeting with Comey, Clapper, and Brennan. Where are we now? We thought last week we might have gotten the IG separate report just on the Comey papers that the FBI went to retrieve a month after he was fired, John, but that's not the big report we're really looking for. We're looking for the the Horowitz report on FISA abuse, and I... And I well, that's the big one. I also think it's going to be devastating. And then on maybe to a lesser level, but still important, the leaking that went on is outrageous and illegal. And then, of course, 
you know, how much outsourcing of intelligence gathering and spying on American citizens, including the president, went on. uh, And just by allowing our allies to do the dirty work to circumvent American laws. That's the Durham report. That's the Barr report, I expect. Yeah, I think that the the latter one is picking up a lot of steam. And I think one of the areas where they're zeroing in now is who was funding and paying for Halper when he carried out these activities? When did that funding begin? And who uh, was controlling the task orders, the uh, the instructions to Halper? And I think that uh, they've discovered an interesting money trail through an office that we haven't been talking about at the Pentagon. Uh, and uh, now the question is, who was the client? Who who was directing uh, Stefan Halper when he was contacting uh, both Papadopoulos and um, uh, Carter Page in the uh, spring and summer of 2016? That's the sort of focus that's going on. Uh, it's, some of it's focused in Europe. Some of it's focused in the United States. And, and at the same time, they're looking at Halper, who funded him, what was going on. Uh, there's a similar effort to obtain records from uh, Joseph Mifsud, the other academic who just happened to run into um, uh, George Papadopoulos and try to get everything he has in records, contemporaneous emails, depositions that would describe what he thought was going on. If we remember, Mifsud lawyer tells us that he believes his client was a longtime Western intelligence asset who was directed, asked uh, to uh, engage Papadopoulos and connect him to, ple- uh, to people in Russia. That is a significant revelation that's only occurred in the last month. And you take that along with the new revelations of this money trail that they're beginning to follow on Stefan Halper, and uh, you can see the, the outlines of an investigation into um, maybe an earlier, much earlier effort to spy or monitor on the Trump campaign that predates the July 31st start of the FBI investigation. Let's talk. John and I have gone over in detail what we expect that people are going to see, maybe fully within the next month, maybe into the fall. Uh, Greg Jarrett, uh, for example, John really believes there's going to be a separate report just on leaking. I'm not I, that I had not confirmed. I know we're going to get a, a mini Comey report. Most of that information we have. Uh, about the papers that he stole, classified, put them in his house, and he was apparently interrogated by the FBI at that time. Uh, then the IG report, the premeditated fraud committed multiple times on a FISA court using Hillary's bought and paid for Russian lies put together by Christopher Steele. Uh, Nellie and Bruce Orr's involvement in all of this, that's all coming. And then I think the one, the last one, is going to be what they find abroad, and that is the use of foreign intelligence service allies to do what John was just talking about, uh, all in an effort to spy on a president, to frankly involve themselves in what I describe as a soft coup. Um, And I think that is where Brennan, Clapper, Comey perhaps, and maybe it goes into Obama's office, Joe Biden's office, uh, Susan Rice's office, who knew what, when, and where. we got to have answers to those questions. Yeah, I think you're right. And I suspect there'll be several different parts to the inspector general's report, and and there will be surprises. I mean, as much as John and you and I know about this and have reported on it for two years, there will be things in there that will blow our socks off that we had no idea about. And I think Lindsey Graham was right. You played a clip earlier uh, in which, you know, he said that there, there was activity going on at the Department of Justice and the FBI that no one knew about 
And I think they'll be, you know, the biggest part of it, I think, will be lying to the FISA court, deceiving the judges, concealing vital evidence. And you were talking a moment ago about Stefan Halper. There's no question he was he was working for either the FBI or the CIA, insinuating himself into the Trump campaign and trying to obtain incriminating evidence. But I, I think the incriminating evidence was actually fed to him at the behest uh, at the behest of the FBI or the CIA through Joseph mm-hmm. Massoud, who's Western intelligence agent. Oh, though. that was not yeah. how he was identified, if I recall, in the Mueller yeah. report, that it was Russian intelligence. Not true. All right, stay right there. Uh, more deep state coverage. A lot of this now on the precipice of, of being revealed in a, and those being held accountable. Uh, it's going to be very real in the days and weeks ahead now. It's, we're, we're getting much closer every second. And as we continue, John Solomon and Greg Jarrett with us. Um, What is the timetable both of you are hearing in terms of the Horowitz uh, FISA abuse report? And more importantly, I guess now is, you know, whether our intel agencies were used, were using or outsourcing spying on a president and a country and citizens to allied countries to circumvent U.S. laws. John. I think what Lindsey Graham said on Maria's show yesterday is spot on, and that is that we're just a few weeks away. I'm hearing mid-September to early October is a time frame for the Inspector General report. And then I think, you know, Durham and Barr's investigation is still ongoing, very intensive. And one of the questions that could determine when they go public with findings will be, do they impanel a grand jury and seek any criminal uh, indictments? And that often can change the arc of when an indictment or when an announcement about findings is also out there. And so I think it's more fluid on Durham, and, um, uh, but I think uh, the IG is somewhere in that mid-September to early October time frame, just like Lindsey Graham said yesterday. Greg? Uh, I'm told that John Durham has moved very, very quickly and gathered an enormous amount of evidence. Uh, he has also been working with the Inspector General, so he's privy to all of the evidence that has been gathered by Horowitz over the last year. I think this thing is going to move very, very quickly as soon as the inspector general comes out uh, in September with a report. And, I, I, you know, if there was a criminal referral on Comey for stealing presidential memos and leaking them, there will most certainly be multiple criminal referrals uh, coming out of the IG report. Do we have any indication grand juries are being formed or have been formed? Is there any possibility we wouldn't know if they were? Well, well, they're secret, so, I mean, it, 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 it's rare that you actually find out about it until after the fact. All right, thank you both. John Solomon and Greg Jarrett will continue our investigation into the investigators now, beginning to wrap up and come to a close, and the American people will see it for themselves. All right, when we come back, News Roundup, Information Overload, and much more, and your calls, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload.
I'm a doctor. I'm working people. They say pacifist. That's not shit. Yeah. We're over here trying to be us. I'm with you. No. I've seen a lot of you motherfuckers all around this yeah, shit. Yeah, aren't you? That is for black descent. What does this fucking matter? I'm That's beautiful. You're what kind, kind of American? You look like a different kind. Tiger Woods, punk. That's a good compliment, brother. Keep going with this news roundup information overload 800 941 Sean, if you want to be a part of the program, uh, that is Antifa in Portland. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. ABC and NBC refer to Antifa as counter protesters. OK, uh, is that an accurate description? Julio Rosas is with us. U.S. Marine reporter for the Washington Examiner was out on the streets of Portland, harassed himself. In his article, he describes firsthand what occurred this past weekend. He writes, with the rally goers gone, Antifa and counter protesters vastly outnumbered. The right wing group stayed in the park and stayed out into the downtown area and spread out there often ignoring police commands to stay on the sidewalks. The Antifa members marched around, engaged in small confrontations with individuals who were perceived or proclaimed to be against Antifa. One case resulted in police using pepper balls and arresting a man on the counter-protest side who had advocated for fights throughout the day. And then protesters also taunting the police, uh, with some calling African-American officers Uncle Tom and shouting, where's your cabin? And then later at one point... Well, they had two buses carrying members of the American Guard, which the Anti-Defamation League describes as a white supremacist group. They were stopped in traffic, uh, noticing their Antifa terrorism sign. Well, the protesters began attacking the bus, throwing objects, banging on the sides, and the door to one bus was eventually opened, and the fighting and uh, broke out, and all hell broke loose. The buses were able to drive away, but not before many windows were smashed. Well, he was there in the middle of all this. Julio Rosas is with us. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Sean. Thank you for having me. Well, it does, doesn't sound like a great day. And tell me from your vantage point, I wasn't there, exactly what you saw, what's going on, how everybody was handled. Explain it. So the Proud Boys uh, and the Antifa side, uh, they were separated by police, uh, which is something that thankfully the police have learned to do in Portland. Uh, that didn't mitigate the uh, the violent confrontations that we've seen in the past in, in Portland. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned in, in the article that, that you just read, uh, I once the Proud Boys left the area, because they were only there for about an hour and a half, once they left the area, uh, 
most of the Antifa members and counter-protesters still stayed in the park, and then they moved out into the downtown area, causing disruptions. Uh, it appears that they were looking for people who weren't on their side to get into shouting matches, and in some cases that they were fighting uh, with in groups. Uh, and it was a it, it was chaotic at some point. I will say it wasn't as bad as we've seen in the past, but it still was a very very uh, tense and ugly day. All right. So explain how many people on both sides of this. I guess you you had white supremacist groups there, and they were having the initial protest, and Antifa was the counter protest. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, so. Portland police said that total between the two groups, there was over 1,200 people. And from what I saw, I, I would confidently say that 1,000 of those were uh, the Antifa and counter-protesters uh, who, who showed up. And so, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see much of the Proud Boys. I, uh, I was stuck on the Antifa side because, um, like I said, again, they, they, the police— uh, uh, we're standing in riot gear between the two groups. So I did try going over there to get more of what was going on, but unfortunately I was unable to uh, cross the police line. Um, and, and then that's when uh, a few uh, members of Antifa were starting to confront me, and I had to leave, uh, go across the street for my own safety. Um, how many people were covering it, and how did the rest of the media cover it? Did you think it was fair and accurate? So a lot of the videos that we're seeing on social media where it shows Antifa being violent and shows it and showing their a lot of their true behavior, uh, unfortunately, uh, is coming was coming from or, or fortunately, I should say, was coming from freelance journalists and just people with uh, big social media accounts. Uh, I, there were a lot of members of the press, um, and I will say that. Uh, just shows the sign of the times. The the local TV station that was out there, their reporters were being protected by private security, uh, which I think speaks to the you know it speaks to the environment that they are operating in, which is very unfortunate. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I believe it was I believe it was NBC or ABC. They they did uh, kind of downplay by just calling Antifa counter protesters, which is true to an extent. But these are not just your ordinary, uh, you know, middle aged uh, liberal protest counter protester. These are uh, young people who uh, believe uh, in socialism or against capitalism, and they want and they're not afraid to get into a fight with somebody that they perceive to be a white supremacist, whether they are or not. You know, I think it's really, really important that everybody understand here. You know, it's like Black Lives Matter. You know, what do we want dead cops? When do we want them now? Uh, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Um, how hostile were was Antifa in particular to the police officers and were the white supremacists, you say, were there? With How hostile were they? So, uh, with like I said, with the majority of the Proud Boys having left the area, they, uh, as is common when it comes to these kinds of Antifa protests, once the you know the white right wing groups and white supremacist groups have left, they then turn their attention to police because they perceive them to be as enablers of white supremacy. Whether uh, and and that includes calling uh, African American officers. Uh, race traders, uh, and and they were saying Uncle Tom, and then I I heard one guy, one uh, white gentleman, call uh, call out to a black officer, Hey, Uncle Tom, where's your cabin? Uh, so they were they were pretty hostile uh, to them, but it, it thankfully it didn't get into much of kinetic action. It was just mainly uh, hurling insults and taunting them, and 
uh, flipping them off and screaming at them. Uh, there were a few. There were a few times where they tried to uh, prevent them from arresting an individual, but because uh, the Portland police were mostly in riot gear, they were able to easily secure uh, the individual that they were arresting to to then uh, put into the back of the van. Yeah, I mean, it's just sad that this is what we we have that's going on in the country. And I got to tell you something. I don't care. And look, if you're not wanting to be a part of one family, we can have different ideas. We can have different politics. We can have, you know, a fight on principle. Um, but when you get radical extremists on any side of any issue, it's it's volatile and it's dangerous. And we've seen way too many of these incidents. And I'm not exactly sure how to stop them all, except the police presence must be overwhelming when these moments happen. So innocent people are not hurt. And we've seen in Portland and other cities how other times that things get so out of control that almost it's almost like the police back off and, and let them do what they're doing. So I think going forward, we we have an obligation to keep the citizens of any town, any city safe from extremism. And it's just extremism all over the place. You know, this country is founded on the principle all people are created equal. That's everybody. It's not that complicated. And uh, to the extent we can have political differences without this extremism, the better off we're all going to be. But we really do appreciate you being with us. Julio uh, Rosas, a U.S. Marine reporter, Washington Examiner. Thanks for uh, your eyewitness account. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I have seen the videos. It's unbelievable. Linda, did you see those videos online? It's unreal. And we see what, what did we see in Philly last week? With, yeah, you know, we got cops shot. And, and what do we see? People attacking the cops and pelting them with stuff. Where's this mentality coming from? Uh, you know, these uh, it's just sick. It's not that it's sick. It's it's that it's the new normal. This is the new normal. There's absolutely zero repercussions for the type of behavior that we are seeing now on a daily basis. There were more police that were attacked in New York City just this weekend. So you, you got know, cops being so attacked. So I keep asking de Blasio when he's I'm doing this long interview with de Blasio, you know, Mr. Mayor, you have, you know, armed guards protecting you every day. Should every New Yorker who has no mental health issues and a background check, should they have the same protection you have and have the ability to have a gun in their apartment or their home? Every New Yorker has a right to be safe. I didn't ask you if they have a right to be safe. Do they have a right to what you have? Every New Yorker has a right to be safe. Well, it's the same thing here. I'm like, Mr. Mayor, look at all these cops that are being assaulted Will you will you tell the people watching this show, the people in New York, that you're going to arrest every person who's on these videos? You don't have faith in the police. I, no, I'm asking if you're going to demand that those people that are assaulting the police in New York City, uh, that they, in fact, get the protection and support from their mayor. He wouldn't answer. And, you know, what, when it happened in Philly, I'm like, where is this mindset coming? They, they, six cops just got shot. And then they have to deal with a crowd pelting objects at them and cursing them out. Yeah, this this is a cycle that needs to be broken, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, there's an ongoing situation where we want to attack police officers that have to make decisions in a split second when they're in a hostile environment. You know, they want to go home to their families. They want to go home to their children. They're just trying to put food on the table. They make terrible money. 
You know, police officers are risking their lives to protect our lives. It's the same thing with our soldiers that are in prisons. You know, they risk our lives so that we can have our freedoms. And we have decided that none of that matters anymore. Nobody cares. They're all living in these strange, you know, social media worlds where it's all about who can post the craziest video. So instead of helping somebody that's being attacked or calling 911 or doing something proactively to be a part of something to help somebody, you instead have people that are now videotaping it because they want to be the first one to put it on Facebook. They want to be the first one to put it on Twitter. They don't care. They don't care. I got to tell you, um, this country has blessed all of us. There's never been a, a, a country that has been created that has provided more wealth creation and opportunity for and freedom for men and women than this country. No, we're not a perfect country, but we have uh, in their wisdom founders and framers that put in place a system to right wrongs and correct injustices. We have a pretty good track record of, of getting there, and I think we will get there. But when this sort of lawlessness and anarchy emerges and we don't stop it, there's not going to be a cop in America that's going to want to put his or her life on the line. To There's only protect. one way to stop it. There's only one Arrest way. Arrest them. No. And charge them. It's even further back than that. We got to go all the way back. We got to reprogram. You look at what's being taught to them. It's disgusting. And what's happening at homes. I, honest to God, Sean, on a daily basis when I commute, there's at least six to seven people whose children I want to take away from them. Because mm-hmm. the, the things I see them doing on a subway platform or on a train or walking down the street, you know, it's like they got a three-year-old behind them, but they're too busy texting to notice that the kid's about to walk into oncoming traffic. There's a you major know, problem. Yeah, it's getting bad. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. It's the Sean Hannity Show. All right. When we come back, we're going to hit the phones. Uh, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, a little more on these protests. Antifa, what happened over the weekend, the clash between, I guess, white supremacists. What was the number on each side? Do we know? I'll yeah, find out before this break is over. Yeah, but I got to tell you something. It's It's too often. It's happening too often. I mean, we have, you know, you, you think about extremism and the radicalism of anybody and anybody's views. And then, of course, it's this constant mantra that, you know, conservatives don't find racism repugnant. I find racism repugnant, period, by by either side. White supremacists are repugnant people. And guys like Farrakhan are repugnant people. And uh, some of the things you hear, either Black Lives Matter or Antifa protesters say should scare the hell out of everybody. But they don't get... Much coverage. Quick break. Right back. doesn't get any uglier than that and that of course happening over the weekend antifa in portland um you know why didn't nbc or abc refer to antifa as counter protesters um because they were i guess it was a counter protest that's what they said it was but they're as 
you know, extreme as everyone else. Well, not only that, Sean, but the numbers that you asked for before this break, it's it, there was over 1,200 people there and over 1,000 of them were the Antifa folks. And the uh, the other people, you know, were police escorted because the Antifa people were so violent. They were only separated by about 150 yards between the two opposing groups. And police well, but- had to keep the quote-unquote tolerant left away from people who had opinions that differed from their own because they didn't want to hear what they had to say. And like the one guy that kept saying, you know, I'm not here to talk. I'm here to I'm here to fight. I'm here for violence. You know, go back. There was an article in Law and Crime, uh, which is a I think a really good website. And it, it has all a lot of the cases that are out there. You know, think back of Madonna. I think an awful lot about blowing up the White House, huh? Or Johnny Depp, when's the last time an actor killed the president? It sounds like it may be time to see it happen again. Um, are those not huge direct threats towards the president of the United States? Well, they have the latest example. And then, of course, severed heads. And, you know, more recently, Deborah Messing and the genius Michael Moore and Rosie O'Donnell actually blaming Donald Trump for what happened in El Paso. I mean, it is such intellectual laziness on their part. And it is there's no real standard for them because they could then apply the same narrative to Elizabeth Warren and Dayton and Bernie Sanders with the incident that happened in the shooting in the ball field that involved Steve Scalise. But they're never going to do that. You know, I never hear out of all the concern of these these liberals that want to take away Second Amendment rights. Uh, solutions that are predicated on a ridiculous idea, which is that criminals will obey laws. No, we found out in the shooting in Philadelphia that the guy had already been arrested for uh, major gun violations. No gun law was going to stop him. The only people that would be denied the use of firearms to protect themselves and their families would be law-abiding, innocent people in Philadelphia. Just like the mayor of New York, he'll have all the armed security he needs on any occasion. But can people in New York have the right to have a gun in their house, God forbid, with all the home invasions that take place, all the robberies that take place, all the criminals that do have guns. No, we're not allowed. We, we have a right to be safe. Okay, well, what is my safe? Do you have your armed guards? We have a right to be safe. You don't have faith in the police? Okay, by the time you call the police and call 911, even a good response time, you're probably dead or you're probably robbed and everything's gone. And then the police come in after the fact and take a report. Uh, We deserve better than that. Hollywood liberals can all afford these armed guards, and they do have them, but they don't want the same for us. Just like Congress, you know, they're not giving Obamacare to themselves just to we the little people, the smelly Walmart people, the irredeemable, deplorable people, the people that believe in God, guns, Bibles, and religion, and we cling to them because we're bitter, as Barack Obama infamously said uh all right to our phones we go uh ryan is in texas the great state of texas ryan hi how are you glad you called uh thank you sean thank you for having me on um well i just called because i want to talk about these red flag laws and i don't think the president is going to go through with it but uh lindsey graham who has all of a sudden uh touted his ar-15 ownership is trying to uh pay states to uh incorporate red flag laws and um the federal government cannot violate the bill of rights so they're paying the states to where a magistrate or the police can take constitutionally protected property by not a jury trial or just by on the word 
of what could be a vindictive witness. And I live in McAllen, Texas. We're right on the border in the front line. Um, we had a KXN article when they sent the Texas DPS down here to help with the narco trafficking that found that our current local DA is reinstating probation for people caught trafficking hundreds of pounds multiple times. There's been a Rolling Stone article in 2015 that found our local narcotics unit was working as uh, enforcers for the cartel, and our local sheriff was also taking bribes from cartel. That was 2015 Rolling Stone. And we just had uh, two judges elected to the appellate court, to the 14th Court of Appeals, that both were caught in uh, scandals just before the elections, uh, the appeals court. So these are the people that would be in charge of deciding who's mentally fit to have their constitutionally protected right. I think that's just outrageous. And also, if I could comment quickly on the Antifa Proud Boys in Orlando, I think what we're seeing there is just the fringes ranks are swelling because of the amount of abuse in the public record from the Bernie getting cheated in 2016 to the conservatives not seeing their, their justice system work equally across the board. And I think that's why we've seen the fringe elements on both sides uh, rank swell. Mm -hmm. and there's just been too much abuse in the public record for either side. I appreciate the call, Ryan. North Carolina, Neil on the Sean Hannity Show, retired uh, Navy. What were you? Retired Navy commander. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm glad you called. Thank you for your service. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, so what I wanted to touch on, and I tried to call last week when you had a guest, and I excuse me because I forget her name, but the guest was talking about the 100-round magazines or the 100-round clips, and people don't need them, and what do you need them for? And we could talk about 100 points on this topic and many others, but let's focus on this one. The reason people need the types of weapons we have that look, smell, and feel, they don't operate, but they look, smell, and feel like military weapons is because that's what the Second Amendment is for. It's so that an armed populace can push back on tyranny if we need to. And if you accept that as the premise, then having guns that the controls are in the same place, they take the same caliber, they, uh, you know, cartridge, they have the same magazines, they have the same operating system, then it makes sense. And it's not about the self-defense. Self-defense against criminals is a very happy and very fortuitous kind of uh, you know, consequence, and that's nice. And being able to go hunting, whether it's deer or squirrel, that's nice. But the Second Amendment is about keeping government in check. And I think that's what scares the left the most is they understand at some deep gut level that they can dance around and jump around all they want and get liberal judges. But at some point, if the rubber hits the road, they're going to lose. And they have to, and they're trying to erode, and it's going to take two or three generations, they're trying to erode our ability to do what we did 200 and some years ago. What they want to do, if you look at it objectively, is very clear. Their desire is if you take their thinking, their logic to its ultimate conclusion, they, they have one goal. And that goal is, okay, if this incident happened with an AR-15 and the next incident happens with a pistol and... And the next accident happens with uh, a different type of weapon. You know, that you're going to ban, you're going to ban, you're going to ban. The criminals will still have the other guns you're talking about. The, you know, the clips of 100, you could actually make them simply at home. This is not something that's complicated to make on your own with materials that you can acquire every single day, probably at Home Depot. You'd have all the materials you need to build that clip if they ban them anyway. Some, the criminal mind will find a way to circumvent the law. 
You know, I brought up the case of the Sarno brothers. I mean, they're using a pressure cooker and look at the death, destruction and misery that they they brought to the city of Boston um, because their intention was to hurt innocent people because of their sick ideology. Absolutely. And, and look what, look what uh, has happened with uh, trucks or with U-Hauls or with things like that or with gasoline or with fertilizer and diesel fuel. There's always a way for evil to show its head. And exactly. we have to have we have to have as as a population both the moral will and the ability to exercise that will to resist and overcome evil. And the left is chipping away and taking away at both of those fronts, both the moral and the physical ability front with what they're trying to push. So thanks for listening to my rant. Well, th- no, it's not a rant. It's smart. Uh, retired Navy Commander Neil, North Carolina, thank you. Uh, TJ in Georgia thinks he has the solution. What's up, TJ? How are you? Sean, thank you, sir, for having me on. I appreciate it. It's an honor thank to you, sir, you, for sir. listening. We appreciate it. Listen, I just wanted to point out, you know, with all the talk about this gun control and all of their measures, why don't we just eliminate mass crowds? Let's do away with malls and concerts and shopping centers and makes about as much sense as anything else they're talking about. Yeah, okay. Well, let's take away uh, all freedom then because that's the next stop. Well, that, that's exactly what they're talking, Sean, and I, I tell you. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, though. I, you know, and I got the crap kicked out of me. Linda, I think you saw a lot of these articles when I make the suggestion, and I stand by my suggestion. If we prote- protect all of our politicians, which I believe we should, with armed guards or armed personnel, uh, and we protect Hollywood actors have the ability to pay the very high expense for armed security people. The average American doesn't have that kind of money because it's very expensive. Um, I I personally, I don't want armed guards in my life. I'm not interested in being covered 24-7. As a matter of fact, I, I'm out there. And I prefer it that way because I don't want to live my life in a bubble. I like to live life like it really is. Um, do I take protective measures when I'm out on the road? I have to. There's no choice. But I'm going to tell you something. Every American has the right not to be a victim of violent crime. And to suggest that we have to be sitting ducks and the people making this suggestion or hashtag laws that would ensure that we can't protect ourselves unless we want to be lawbreakers ourselves, uh, they themselves are protected. And it's it, this is simple. This is basic. This is fundamental. And it is, you know, there's nothing that I am hearing that is being proposed that would have stopped El Paso or Texas. All the background checks in the world would have found nothing uh, in both cases. You know, if you look at the case of the guy in Philly, he had a track record of of the use of firearms and firearm violations and felonies. It didn't stop him. He just kept going. And it's just, and we can't ban everything that can be turned into a weapon or weaponized. You know, look at the case in New York when you had ammonium nitrate and fertilizer in a car. Thank God it didn't explode in the middle of Times Square, but it did at the Oklahoma City bombing. That that happened there. And then the predictable blame game, Rush, talk radio. Later on, it becomes Rush, talk radio, Fox News. It is a cheap and intellectually lazy way of addressing what is the real root of crime in a lot of these cities, and that is failed liberal policies. You know, I don't see any of these people adding up every weekend all of the carnage, all of the shootings, all of the misery, all of the death taking place in in cities that have been run for decades by liberal Democrats. Why are their policies failing? Why have they failed their constituencies and why do they get reelected anyway? It makes no sense to me. They have failed inner cities 
economically. They have failed them in terms of safety and security. And it's like I don't I have no idea how they get reelected. You would think that people would say, you know what, you're not fixing the problem. Let me let me get somebody else who will. And Donald Trump is saying, I know I can fix it. And I, I'll show you how if you really need to know. Rudy Giuliani, I guarantee you, would for free go to any big city and tell him exactly what he did and how he did it to drive down the murder rate in New York City. We're at nearly 2,500 murders a year. He drove it down below 500. And we've been able to sustain it through the proper allocation of manpower and resources to the areas that needed it the most. And there were charges one day after another, racism, 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 because I've been in New York since that time. And the mayor never flinched and he stuck to his principles. And lo and behold, he drove the murder rate down. He threw out all of the drug dealers and prostitutes in Times Square. And it went from being one of the seediest areas of New York City into, you know, a, a little Disney in Times Square. We can once again take your family and and feel safe and secure with a heavy police presence. All right, Anthony, uh, let's get back to you. How are you, my friend? I'm good, sir. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks. Thank you. What's going on? So, you know, we, we go back to criminals, right? And people don't understand the progression. Bad people do bad things, right? Simple robbery, somebody breaks into your house, somebody breaks into your car. You know, I'm a legal gun owner here in the state of Nevada. I've had my house broken into, and no matter how much security I had at my house, they still took four guns out of my home. Nobody's talking about the fact that there's 250,000 to 600,000 guns that are reported stolen a year. And who has them? The criminals. So back to what I said, bad people do bad things, which in turn makes horrible people do horrible things because they feed the machine with inside. Well, I got to tell you, the number of guns stolen from legal gun owners. Yeah, that's a major problem. All right. Tonight, Hannity, 9 Eastern on Fox. Uh, we have Dan Bongino. Uh, Pam Bondi will check in. Jason Chaffetz who is, uh, well, he's he's getting to the bottom of the Inspector General's report. We'll get a timeline on that. The latest on the deep state, it is not looking good. And, of course, we'll follow the protests out in Portland over the weekend. 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. You give us this microphone. Thank you for being with us every day.